and welcome to episode 104 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, November 25th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good. Did you recover from our field trip? I'm recovering. I loved our field trip. No recovery necessary. Facts. I can't wait to tell everyone about it. Cool. And how was your Thanksgiving? It was nice. We had a big family gathering. Happy Black Friday. (laughs) This is what we're doing on Black Friday, which is so apropos for us. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big shopper in general, so shopping with scores and scores of people sounds... Just not at all fun. No, the shopping we did the other day is exactly the kind of shopping that I like. It was delightful. Yeah, we we did a little loop, checked out some new yarn stores. And a new, to me, art yeah, store. That was fun, too. I enjoyed that. Yeah, we had a little, really good. We had a little lovely lunch. It was a beautiful day. It was awesome. Right up until I got home and opened my paint and realized that In my excitement to buy gouache out in the wild, I bought watercolor. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So I have to get back there like maybe this weekend and exchange it for gouache. (sighs) Were they right next to each other? Because Mm -hmm. you and the guy were talking about gouache. I mean, to be fair, he sold it to you as well. Right. Yeah. Even though you were talking about gouache. Right. And I was replacing tubes. It wasn't like I, I mean... It was, it's not an emergency, but I do have to right. go exchange them. Oh, so you have to go back to the store. Mm-hmm. What a what a tragedy. I also picked up there a couple pencils that I'm really enjoying. Oh, good. You know, I'm a complete pencil nerd. True. And that sketchbook brand that I like, the Leukstrom mm-hmm. 1917, I picked up a few pencils and they're just really wonderful to draw and sketch with. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I have not used, I may have bought a little yarn to support my local yarn stores. We went to Fangari in Half Moon Bay and the Royal Bee in Pacifica, and they were both lovely. The art store was California Art Supply in San Mateo. That's where we started. And then we swung over 92 and went to Half Moon Bay to Fangari and some other shops that we'll talk about in the gift guide. And then we went a little bit north to Pacifica for the Royal Bee. We did, yes. And I got, this is not a gift thing unless you want to give it to yourself, but I got a pom-pom holiday wreath. It's very adorable. And it's just all these little different colored, I think they're felted balls of yarn. Theoretically, I could have made one myself, but uh, it wasn't going to happen. And I really liked it. And it was cute and it has little silver thread running around it. So it's very festive and you know, eco-friendly. And you supported a small exactly. business. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff all around. Oh, yes. That's where Courtney got the ornament that she posted. Was that in a, a story or? That was in, I did it in the oh, stories. Yeah, right. I found the most amazing merman, Poseidon merman with tattoos. <laughs> it has made my holiday season. If I could find it in a cookie cutter, life would be complete. But as we said, we will be eventually talking about gifts. Before that, we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and then we'll finish with all wrapped up. So on the needles, talked last time about the Viking knit book that was knitting and travel guide and volcanoes or something. (laughs) That thought sounded very interesting. And it is out in the United States now. It is called the, and I don't know how to pronounce this, Lopa Pesa Sweater. 
A Journey North in Search of Iceland's Iconic Knitwear by Tony Carr and Kyle Cassidy. I think it has lots of photographs. It looks very interesting. And I guess you could throw that in the gift guide as well for your, the knitter in your life, although I did not have it down there in those notes. But it looks very interesting. So actual knitting. I have not done any work at all on my tea pullover by Hohi Locatelli. Not a bit. I have got sidetracked by other things that um, some gift knitting that had to be done. The first of those was the Rose Cottage Cowl by Helen Stewart, which is a birthday gift for a friend. This one is from her Knitvent 2021 collection. Every year starting, I guess it comes out early November, mid-November. I think it's six patterns, one pattern a week that she releases. And they're, the idea is that they're for gift knitting. I, I buy them every once in a while when I feel inspired. And, you know, the patterns are still available all year long, so you can just buy one. I think if you buy them in advance before they start coming out, the price is lower for the collection. So every once in a while, I will do that. So this one was a cowl, and I used Yarn Love Charlotte Bronte Aran in Sugar Plum, which is a purpley pink. So big, chunky yarn, so it went very nice and quickly. It used almost all of two skeins, so it's a it's a pretty sizable cowl. It is a 1 by 17 rib, <laughs> so mostly knitting with just a little bit of, you know, a few pearls every once in a while, and then a big, gorgeous cable running the length of it. So again, very simple, a little bit of interest with the cableness, so super fun to knit, big yarn, so it goes quickly. I think I actually could have gone up a needle size. It was a little bit tight. But I guess if for a cowl, you theoretically, you would want it to, to keep out the wind and so to be a fairly tight gauge. I blocked it and it loosened up a little bit. So I think it's it's pretty good. So that was very enjoyable. And that yarn I've had in my stash since 2013. So I felt pretty good about moving it along, although it is beautiful and I I feel this is what it needed to grow up to be, and it is living its best <laughs> life now. I'm very excited. And then I also had a Christmas baby hat to make. Um, I like to make little baby hats for the new babies in the family for their first Christmas. And we only had one this year. For the past six years, we've had two, and we only had one, so things are slowing down. But I still wanted to do it. And this kid was born almost a year ago, so I had to, So it's not a teeny tiny baby cap, although one-year-olds are not terribly... I don't know. Either. My one-year-old had a gigantic well, head. True. One of them. I don't know. So I, I don't think this kid is giant, but we'll find out. Anyway, so I got yarn from Sun Soaked Yarns, and it was sock weight yarn, so small. But again, baby hats, there's not a ton of knitting. And I just use Susan B. Anderson's Simple Baby Cap pattern. You just knit around and around and around forever. Yeah. Do you know it by heart now? I don't because I do different sizes. Oh. And also, I think it's technically for DK weight. So I just I have to kind of fiddle with the numbers, but it's a baby hat. It's just knitting. It's not not that big a deal. And then I put a pom pom. Okay, technically, I do still need to make the pom pom and put it on and then it will be officially done. But by the time you hear this, it will be totally done. So the yarn colorway is called Christmas Traditions. Surprisingly, it's in red and green and white. <laughs> Mostly red and green. And it's not, I don't think it's a self-striping, but it's that kind of variegated where you hit the right numbers and it looks like it's striping. So it was really fun to knit with. It's super bright red and green. So I enjoyed that. And I just, I can't remember, I had some TV show on and just knit the heck out of it. And then I do need to make the pom-pom. But that that should be fun. 
and easy and then sew that on and mail that off so baby can wear it during the holiday season. But what I have mostly been working on is the Easy Stripes Blanket for Boy Number 1 by Tony Carr of the aforementioned Icelandic Sweater book. And that is in Nitpicks Bravo Worsted, in Current and Dove Heather, which are burgundy and light gray, and Small Stripes of Karen Simply Soft in Bone, which I think is light gold, and I all looking very nice. Did I talk about how I actually read the pattern last time and realized where I where what I'm supposed to be doing now? No. Okay, I don't so, think so. So it's a pretty simple pattern. You do a couple rows of one color and then you do increasingly larger amounts of the other color until you get to the middle and then you swap and you start decreasing. Very simple. Except for the last two rows of the main of your first main color, the one that's increasing. The numbers change. I don't know why. I assume that it's so that it makes it a square, so so that the math works out. I, I was increasing, and I knew the final number was 15 or something. That was the number that was in my head. So I finally went and checked the pattern just to make sure I was doing everything correctly. And then I realized that there was this little change in the number of things you've done. Well, I was not pulling back because you're up to, I don't know, 300 stitches in a row or something at this point, possibly more. So I was not going to rip back because I needed to have one additional row. I guess it's a back and forth. So two rows in my main color. But then that meant I was on the final stripe of my main color of the increases. So that was very exciting. So now I am on the downward trajectory. (laughs) Very exciting. So I feel much more motivated. The rows are getting smaller. It feels like it's going so much faster now that I'm down to, you know, only 300 instead of over 300 stitches. So I guess I have two and a half weeks now until he gets home. So I think I can do it, but I do. It is going to have to be what I focus on. Luckily, we have the World Cup. So there's a lot of soccer to watch, which is perfect for endless stockinette knitting. And, And then I had this whole existential crisis of, okay, so I left off those two rows in the previous one. Do I leave them off in the other one or is it going to make my stripes look weird if it suddenly does a big jump? So what I decided to do, and I haven't really looked to see how it actually looks, and probably no one will notice this, certainly not my child. I decided to do the full number of rows, but I didn't want to mess up because I had one fewer increase. I didn't want to have an extra decrease in there. So I decreased on one side only and then on the other side only for that extra row. Does that make sense? It's going to be fine. It'll totally be fine. The amount of spinning that was going on in my brain about this and trying to decide what to do was kind of silly. This is when you need a Stephen West video to be like, it's going to be fine. Nobody's, he's like so wonderful. And we're talking about more complicated stitches in a shawl, to be sure. So it doesn't really matter there so much either, but yeah, it's going to be fine. No, and I know that, which is why I ultimately decided, it's like, yeah, okay, this is just what I'm going to do. This will make my brain happy. I'm going to go for it. So it is coming along. It is squishy and large, and I think it'll be very comfy and make him happy. But yeah, I've got to work on that. And then I want to finish my sweater. And there is the December mystery gnome coming along, the holiday winter countdown gnome. So that starts December 1st, if you're interested. And that one that one is fun. And you get like a tiny little bit of knitting every day. Actually, not even every day, because some days she'll send a recipe or just a little part of a story about the gnome and his or her adventures. 
So that's exciting. That's from Imagine Landscapes. If you have not jumped on the gnome bandwagon yet, now is an opportunity. So that starts December 1st. And then I have to, you know, continue to not <laughs> not decide that I'm going to knit all of the Christmas presents right at the last minute. Yes. Which is usually what happens. We will see. Well, yeah. today's the 25th. Yep. You oh, have a month. One month. So much time. Exactly. I mean, I'm knitting a blanket. I don't need, nobody else needs anything. <laughs> right. That's my theory. What is on the easel? Well, it's the final throws of gouache vember, in case people have been following along. Gouache vember is the international holiday of opaque watercolors. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This prompt list was put together by my great friend in Seattle, Daria, who goes by Hey Hooray Design on Instagram. We have been painting from her prompt list this month. I even made a couple reels. And for the non-techie folks, that's like a little Instagram video, process video of me painting whatever that day's subject was. And it was a little bit of a learning curve. I have learned a lot about what not to do, chiefly. And then I've made several great mistakes. When you're painting on video, or when I'm painting on video, I get really self-conscious and think more about the lighting and are people understanding what I'm trying to communicate and sometimes forget some of the details in the actual painting. Like I, I did a typewriter earlier in the month and forgot to put the little Olympia logo on it. And then I painted, I painted a teacup and forgot details on one side of the saucer. So it's interesting that my brain gets to a certain point and then I'm not looking at the thing with my usual art eyes. I'm looking at it through that Instagram lens, which that part of reels I don't like, but I think it offers a glimpse into the process that does have merit. And so I will try to do them on occasion. It's not something that I aspire to, but I was thinking that maybe I need a more permanent home for those kinds of videos. I know somebody who knows somebody who might be able to help with that, which is a whole other tech life that I do not know that I want to live in, but we'll see. So that's been gouache vember. Lots of fun paintings have come out of that so far, and we've got five more days to go. There's only one that I missed. I've missed a couple, but there's only one that I want to go back and illustrate. So that will, that'll happen at some point. And then in the midst of all of this gouache vember stuff was the Bird and Breakable series, which I'm happy to report has turned into a calendar. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't about to make any promises because for a little while there, it felt like it would be a series of four and then maybe a series of seven. <laughs> and then I took inventory and I was at 13 paintings including a couple good, serviceable, but not like a month standout page. So ultimately, 
The feature illustration for each month is a bird and a breakable. And there are some sort of puns in there and things that delight me, of course. Like, for example, one month has a Victorian teacup that is a mustache teacup, which has a piece of ceramic inside the teacup to protect your mustache from getting wet with tea. I mean, nowadays, it would be excellent for somebody who's drinking a latte or a cappuccino to keep the foam off their mustache. But I thought this was just a... I had never seen such a thing before. And then I found a bird called the Inca Tern that has kind of a mustache, (laughs) like a curly-cued mustache. And I absolutely had to paint this pairing. So there's some fun stuff like that in there. And then each page has a bird feather from the from the featured bird and a little egg cup, which, you know, birds, eggs. And I had so much fun painting the egg cup. So now I have this, I, I'm still completely obsessed with the ceramics and the birds and the birds are featured on a lot of the ceramics. And this is not a calendar for everyone. But everyone on my Christmas list is getting one, whether they like it or not. I certainly hope that if it's not their thing, that they pass it on or at the very least recycle it responsibly. (laughs) And then I did order, I forget how many I have for sale, not the usual amount, but they will be available on the website, CourtneySpillane.com. Maybe, maybe right around the time that this comes out, maybe the day later. So I'm not sure when they come in, I want to be able to photograph them and do a little video flip through so you can decide whether or not you want to look at mustache cups and Inca turns for a month. I can't see why you wouldn't want to. Well, you know, some people prefer a different kind of aesthetic and that's okay. Birds are not for everyone. Although for those people who think birds aren't for you, we should chat because I have a lot to say about birds. (laughs) (laughs) So that is what's been going on work-wise in the studio. I do have some Christmas stuff that I cannot talk about yet, but the big exciting thing, I bought a new light. I I meant to mention it last time we talked, because when the clocks turned back, it also curtailed my time in there, which can't happen. No. That can't happen. Obviously not. It's squashvember, and I have other stuff. So I bought a new light, and I am super happy with it. It It's a little bit tricky because it screws directly into my desk. So if you don't have that kind of situation, then you have to buy a separate lamp base for it. But I made it work for my desk and it has really made a big difference, not only for my not 20-year-old eyeballs, and that was actually a suggestion from the optometrist, you know, while I wear my painting glasses now. But I really, really like this light. And I will put a link in the show notes because other people who are knitters or painters or crossword puzzle doers may benefit from a little boost in illumination this seasoning. Seasoning? (laughs) This season. That's it. (laughs) Speaking of seasoning, on the table... You were just thinking ahead. Uh, Now I have to leave it in. (laughs) Sorry. So, oh, first, I wanted to mention something we talked about last time. And as I was editing, I realized I had misspoken. So when we were talking about cooking chicken, you were talking about spatchcocking it and how you cooked it upside down in the pan first. 
and then flipped it and put it in. And I said, oh, I don't bother with that. And what I said was I put onions underneath the skin and just throw it in. That could be interesting. But what I usually do is slices of lemon under the skin, oil on top, throw it in the oven for 45 minutes. So I think timing wise, we end up about the same. Yeah. And my skin usually turns up pretty crispy. Two different ways of doing it. And also throwing potatoes in and whatnot. But lemons, not onions. I love the idea of lemons. Yeah. Sometimes thyme as well or, you know, some other sort of herby yeah. business. But under the skin, and salt also underneath the skin. Mm. So the flavor just permeates. Exactly. And then we have entered the season of cookbook review prep. So I'm guessing maybe Courtney has this issue as well in that we are both cooking a lot from Smitten Kitchen Keepers. Yay! Which is delightful. Spoiler Jazz hands. Um, jazz hands, for sure. So fun. But all of the new exciting cooking is coming from that, and we're not going to talk about it until January. So you have to wait on that. So trying to figure other stuff to talk about is a little tricky. Luckily, I'm a professional, and I'm here. <laughs> here to make your, your vegetarian dreams come true. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about, oh, talk about is simple pasta which is just a gorgeous actually you could probably add this to to the, any cook the gift list yeah it's just beautiful it is a book by odette williams and i have her simple cake book which is also beautiful and very intriguing and so what this one is is at the beginning it is a whole bunch of make your own pasta recipes including gnocchi including ricotta gnocchi which i think did not have any f regular flour in it I might be making that up, but little enough that it felt like you could probably do it gluten-free. So various different pasta recipes. And then seasonal sauces. And each one's set up around a dinner party. So it starts off with an appetizer and a cocktail. And then she gives you like eight different pasta recipes, sauce recipes, and has suggestions for which pasta to serve it with. And then a dessert and maybe a salad. Lots of beautiful lifestyle photos. It's just a joy to look through. Lots of meat-based sauce recipes, but a decent number of vegetarian ones as well. Not complicated, but more chefy and intense flavor building, so they take a little longer. So not necessarily a weeknight pasta, even it's, though it's simple pasta, not necessarily your weeknight, just home from work pasta cooking. But if you have a little bit of extra time, very delicious. So the one that I made was the lentil and porcini ragu, which was a vegetarian one. Yum. Really good. You know, nice and filling with the lentils. My grocery store did not have dried porcinis, so I did dried shiitakes, which tasted fine. There's, you know, canned tomatoes in there as well. Carrots and celery. Thought I had both and I didn't have either. So those just got left out. So I was winging it a little bit, but it still turned out great. You throw some cream on at the end. I probably could have chopped everything a little bit more finely. My mushrooms were a little bit chunky. But again, so not anything complicated. No ingredients that were hard to find. It was all very easy. Uh, it just took a little bit more time to make than your usual one. But a lot of it again, was also just the simmering. And you did have to like cook the lentils first and then... You know, you've got the porcinis soaking in the hot water and all those different steps that you take to get a lot of extra flavor. So worth it. The family enjoyed it. And just looking at the pictures and dreaming about dinner parties, if that is your your thing, this is this could be a good book for you. And then <laughs> it is so veggie heavy this week. 
a celery root salad, vegetarian cooking for everyone. This one, it was celery root was one of the options for my produce box this week or this past week. And I decided I'd, you know, just been on getting the same thing over and over. I was like, oh, I'll try this. I don't know why celery root doesn't bother me, but it doesn't, even though it does have sort of a celery-like flavor. So this one, you matchstick the celery root, blanch it just really quickly, and then you matchstick an apple and make a nice mustardy vinaigrette and let that sit for a little bit. And it was great. I think I threw, I think it called for watercress and what I had was arugula. So I threw that in there. So it was salady, but also kind of like a slaw. And it would, it could be more or less salady depending on how much of the greens you used. But it was nice and sharp and bright. And I believe I served it with my next dish, which had, which had lots of cream and was very soft and delicious. So it was a really nice contrast. And I think a good like fall, winter kind of salad option. So that was good. And that's a Vegetarian Cooking for Everyone by Deborah Madison. I think anyway, it's a classic. It's a big, big honkin' book. It has all of the vegetarian recipes you could ever need. So then my final one was a sprout, Brussels sprout and artichoke gratin from Vegetarian Dinners in the Oven by Rukmini Iyer. This is one that I got out of the library, and I have talked about a few of these recipes before. They're all kind of sheet pan or roasting pan, one dish, dinners, throw it in the oven. Some of them are quick. This one was a little bit longer, but super easy, very delicious. Brussels sprouts, which everyone in my house is a big fan of, so it's exciting to have new ways to cook them since you can't add bacon, at least in my house. And then some canned artichoke heart and a whole bunch of cream, which is always good, breadcrumbs and Stilton cheese. Hmm. I'm sure you could use any kind of blue or even a not blue probably, but I just decided to try that and it was great. You just throw it all together, bake it. You know, it's got the crunchy breadcrumbs on top, the creamy, the creamy cream and the creamy cheese, and then the nice sharp winter veggies. I think I had meant to serve it with rice and that didn't happen because I forgot until it was too late. But other than that, it was really good, very filling, nice and comforting. I, you could certainly have it as a side dish if you were a meat eater as well. And that's it for me. That's a wonderful vegetable-laden <laughs> table. It's aspirational. Although right. I served Brussels sprouts with prosciutto. I had rosetted them and then crisped them up in the oven and then <gasps> crumbled them into the Brussels sprouts. And wow. they were devoured. Yes. Prosciutto the, helps. The power of prosciutto. Yep. I'm... Waiting for my gold star because I made beans from scratch. <laughs> nice. Like like Rancho Gordo dried uh -huh. beans. Okay. I was like, green I beans? Had, I had some pinto beans mm -hmm. and we were looking to make chili. It was early in the day and I thought, I'll soak them now and we'll see how this goes. And I put them in some water and I let them soak in water all day long until I was ready to make the chili and they were just... Really wonderful, a lot firmer than a canned bean, kind of al dente, if you will. And it was a much better flavor, I thought. So this is me on my training wheels on my bean bike. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Yes. <laughs> so I'm really proud of myself. Because, uh, you should be. That's awesome. Because I went to that little market like... A year ago and bought all of those stupid beans. They're not stupid. They are beautiful and gorgeous. <laughs> but every time I think about them, I'm like, oh, 
I'm cooking dinner now. I don't have time for this. So I was proud of myself for, well, A, menu planning at nine o'clock in the morning as opposed to, you know, nine minutes before somebody wants to eat and then just using them like normal. So now that I know that even if I think of it early in the day, it'll be fine. Like none of these beans. I have been telling you that for two years, but that's fine. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) finally, I heard heard you. I mean, alternatively, you could, if you're thinking of it at five o'clock, you could then at that point throw them in the water and have it ready for tomorrow. Yes, that's a good point. Always thinking I am. Yeah. I think part of my conversion here is that it was an improved flavor. Yeah, it really is. So that is the compelling side of things. And then it made me pull out the other beans that I have and think, all right, what would I do with this one? And sort of work them into the rotation. So I'm still on the training wheels for sure, but it's an improvement. Then I have a kid who is back in season with his sport, which means that there are some early practices and basically a hungrier child. (laughs) And so I tried these breakfast egg muffins, breakfast egg cups, I guess. It is egg blended with cottage cheese so that it's more Mm. of a custard and it takes the texture right out of the cottage cheese. And then with spinach and a little bit of prosciutto, ours were a little bit oversalted, so I would not season the custard at all. The prosciutto does the work for you there. And then a little bit of cheese on top. And I think I could pack more vegetable in and maybe some green onion and maybe a splash of hot sauce or something like that. And I made them in the big muffin tin and they were incredibly yeah, satisfying. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, incredibly satisfying. I have the, you know, the muffin tin holds like... The jumbo ones, yeah. Yeah, it's... I want to say it's about a cup, but then the muffin, you know, souffles up a little bit. Mm. I thought they were great. You know, my whole family is used to less than seasoned food because we we do err on the side of low sodium, but he th- thought it was a little bit salty. So I w- will not season the custard going forward, but these were a great, they lasted in the fridge. I think you can freeze them and just microwave them if he was going to a tournament or something like that. So that was a win. And then I can't talk about my delightful experiences from Smitten Kitchen, but thus far... I can't wait to talk about Smitten <laughs> Kitchen because like a mega nostalgia alert on one of these recipes. And I am so excited and I can't wait to f- tell my sister about it and maybe send her the cookbook. Oh my gosh, so much fun. And then for Thanksgiving, I was responsible for beans, super simple, with dill and garlic and lemon zest. So green beans? Green beans. Okay. <laughs> Because now we have to specify when, know. when you're talking. And then the Brussels sprouts with prosciutto. And then I made the gravy on site. I think gravy might require like a little warm up. You need to do a warm up gravy before you make Thanksgiving gravy. Because I at one point was like, ah, it's kind of congealing. What's wrong? And then I would add liquid and it would look beautiful again. And then, you know, it was just this dosy dough with gravy. Mm. But thankfully... I had a lot of helpful taste testers. I added a big tablespoon of Dijon mustard to it, and that totally rounded out the flavor. Interesting. So 
I didn't cook the bird. So it was stock from the bird, the unbrined bird. I did do the slurry with cornstarch and cold water. Maybe it was too hot when I added it and then it congealed weirdly. But I got it leveled out, smoothed out. It was really, really brown and gorgeous color. I did add a little bit of bouillon, the big tablespoon of Dijon, and a little bit of vinegar. And then salt, of course, because it needed a little brightening. I think the challenge with gravy, though, is when you only make it once a year, the pressure is on because people care about gravy. (laughs) It's like my husband's favorite thing about Thanksgiving. It's Auntie Margot's favorite thing about Thanksgiving. I don't know if we have anybody that cares about gravy that much. What is your favorite Thanksgiving? Me? Component. Cranberry sauce. And I got to make it last yesterday, so that was very exciting. And you make it from scratch? I do, yeah. Beautiful. Yes. My child... She scoffs. Us. No. I mean, I, people love their canned cranberry sauce. That's fine. You can do that. I'm going to make my own because it is amazing. And we had leftovers, and I added it to my oatmeal this morning, and it was fantastic. Oh, how wonderful. So good. And my uncle, who, when they host, takes over the cranberry making and he does an excellent job i have no concerns issues with his cranberry sauce so he does also make it and apparently he wanted to know who made the cranberry sauce this year because it was delicious we were at different tables so my mom reported this to me and so i was like yes i did good so long before we podcasted but maybe i've told the story of how one year i made the the new york times cranberry sauce from scratch with lime zest and jalapeno and i was so excited with it and i put it in our old toyota highlander and we were driving down a big hill and the whole thing tipped over in the car (laughs) cranberry sauce everywhere monica was it worse than the soup or the stock different mess yeah i think it might have been the same hill because we were headed like over (laughs) yeah oh but yeah cranberry sauce in the car would not be good That's the other thing about holidays when you're local, but have to travel to, you know, relative homes, hosts, is how to get things from point A to point B safely. I am terrible at that. Yeah. Well, luckily for, at least for our cranberry sauce, my mom had asked me to come over the day before to help prep. So I had just took my cranberry sauce ingredients and my vegan gluten-free gravy ingredients over there beforehand and made it all over there and just left it so it did not have to transport which was good you know as i'm sitting here thinking about this it might be a particular san francisco problem because we have really steep hills like yesterday i was parked on (laughs) like 17 percent grade or something yeah insane we just had to the trying to get out of the city when there were accidents on both of the bridges that we would possibly take yeah so that was fun over the river and through the woods yeah but we made it and it was delicious. Yes, it was delicious. Everything on our tables. All right. On the nightstand, the Goodreads voting for the best books of the year is out, which I <gasps> saw that and I thought that seems very early, but I guess there's only a month left in the year. So it really isn't. So if you're interested in voting, I just found it interesting. I actually had not read many of the books or yeah, no, most of the categories I had not read the books, which I found slightly disappointing. And there was there would usually be some that were on my list and I just hadn't gotten to them yet. And some of them, to be fair, have just come out. So I'm not sure who has read those books, but we're all trying. Yeah. I'm it is on. exciting to to yeah. see the lists and to vote on them just 
you know, even if you've only read one. Like, That's no, okay. No we're, problem. We're and they have all the different categories. Debut books and young adult and mystery and I forget. I think maybe thriller or something I had the most this year. It was very strange. Wow. Yeah, it was it was it was an odd odd year for me. But anyway, things I have actually read. First up, The House of Always by Jen Lyons, book four in the Chorus of Dragon series. This one was a quick read at 500 pages, unlike the previous one, which was 600. This is our land of dragons and reincarnation and magic swords and amulets, and it continues to be delightful. It picks up about three weeks after the end of the previous book. I had said before in the book three, our four main characters finally get their band together. Not really a band, you know what I mean. And we added an additional eight main characters in this book. So we've gone, we have gone from a jazz combo to a full big band. And it's, wow. I mean, she does a good job of helping you keep track of everyone. You're you're jumping around in, in time. They are still trying to get the Dark Lord back into his prison. So we're going back and forth in time over the past, like what's happening right now going forward and then what has happened in the past three weeks since the end of the last book. So many adventures, lots of great relationship building, enemies maybe becoming allies. We shall see, hard to tell. And the final book just came out a few months ago. Well done, Jen Lyons, and actually finishing a series, unlike some other epic fantasy writers. You know who I'm talking about. So if you, again, I'm going to say it, if you're looking for a good fantasy series, you should check this one out. And then we will continue with our fantasy series, The Atlas Six by Olive e. Blake. This one apparently started off on TikTok, which I don't fully understand. But then she got a book deal and now it's a book. I don't know if it was just screenshots or I don't know. I don't I don't really TikTok. I saw somebody post. It must have been on Twitter. They're like, I'm not on TikTok. I just watch reels on Instagram of TikToks two weeks after they finally came out and were popular <laughs> like a grown up. <laughs> and I think that is very true. So anyway, Atlas Six, the Library of Alexandria did not actually burn down. It just went underground and a secret society was created to protect the knowledge of the ages. Every 10 years, a new group of six of the best magicians in the world are chosen to become new members of the society. They study for a year and learn and learn about protecting the library. And then five of them will be chosen to actually be initiated. I feel like we really missed our calling and should have been Magicians. Like magicians or witches or something. It would have been nice. We'll have to work on that. There's still time. <laughs> Go back to grad school. <laughs> Plenty of time. <laughs> uh, so this is the story of, of one of the initiation classes. And there's magic and secrets and all those good things. And the second book in the series just came out. So I enjoyed it. There were some good twists and turns and, you know, magical relationships and modern modern characters living in a magical world. So good stuff on that one. And then also... Another series, Into the Wind Racked Wilds by A. Deborah Baker, also known as Shauna McGuire. This is book three in this series. Zeb and Avery are tweens and they're headed off to school one day and the roads close. So they have to go a different way and they run into a wall that has not been there before. And they decide to climb over it because that's what kids do in these books. And they enter the land of up and under, start having adventures. So this is the third book in the series. 
Shauna McGuire continues to be an amazing writer and just builds this world. They meet a crow girl, a girl who is both a girl, and then she turns into a flock of crows, I guess a murder of crows. They have picked up some other people in their party. They are trying to find a missing queen and return her to her castle, and then she'll be able to send them home. The adventures continue. I love that. She turns into a murder of crows. Yeah. That's super fun. It is fun. So that continues to be a delightful little series. And I look forward to the next adventure, which I guess will happen next year. And then some nonfiction. Ooh. I know. A Sentimental Education by Hannah McGregor. She is a university professor in Canada, specializing in critical literary theory, I believe. And she's also a podcaster, which is how I know of her. So this is a very short little book. I think it's about 100 pages. A little bit of a memoir. But it is looking at how reading, her reading, what she grew up with, specifically sentimental novels, affected her journey through white feminism. We kind of have this idea that reading books, the right kind of books, will make you more empathetic and will change the world. And is this true? How did it work in her personal life? Does it make sense? And specifically the sentimental novel. So things like Anne of Green Gables, Pride and Prejudice, you've got a plucky heroine, Mm. doesn't get along exactly in her community, but likes to read books. And eventually it all works out really well. And she becomes a valued member of society, usually by, by getting married and having kids. But, you know. And that's part of the whole thing that she looks at. I kind of thought there was going to be a little more book talk in this. It is definitely an academic treatise, although I think she dials it back for a non-academic audience. But there is a lot of literary theory in here, which I have not really come across since I got out of college and was reading this fairly regularly. So it was it was a little bit of a mind bender for me, but not impossible to read and very interesting and definitely makes you think. Yeah, so I I found it really interesting and a helpful, helpful read, although it was not quite what I thought it was going to be. And then I read The Verifiers by Jane Peck, which was a delight. Claudia was born and raised in New York City. Her mom is a single mom. She has two older siblings. She has quit her job that her older brother helped her get at a finance firm to work for a startup that looks into the people that you are dating online to make sure they are as they have represented themselves. They're basically a detective agency, but they they pretend they're not. So she's finding this very interesting until one of their clients disappears and then is found dead. And so Claudia decides to keep linking into it. The police and everybody thinks it's just a suicide and she doesn't, she thinks it's not. So you've got this kind of mystery thriller going on, but you also have Claudia's family relationship. Her mom was an immigrant from China. Her older siblings lived with the grandparents in China for a while, but now they're all back together. So you get all of this uh, family relationship, a lot of sibling relationship, which I think we don't usually see. There's some parent-child back and forth as well, but the sibling part of it was really cool. Her relationships with her friends and she's in her mid-20s. So that kind of like, what am I doing with my life? You know, who do I want to be? So it was not your usual mystery. And it's in New York City. It's very New York. She rides her bike around. You know, she lives in the borough, in the outer boroughs and and is, has all these 20-something friends. So it was it was a really fun book, aside from the mystery part of it. And then finally, Best of Friends by Kamala Shamsi, who wrote Homefire, which we both enjoyed. That was the Antigone retelling. This one was 
fantastic. So good. Five stars. Zara and Mariam are best friends for as long as they can remember. The book starts in 1988 in Karachi in Pakistan. They are 14, just starting high school. So big changes. Then something happens that changes the course of their lives. And then we pick the story back up in London in 2019. They're still friends. They've grown up. They've become very successful and semi-famous in their respective professions. And we see how their lives are continuing echoes from the past or affecting things now. It was just a really beautiful story of the girls and the girls becoming women and their relationship. Again, like you don't usually get books about siblings. I don't think I feel like a lot of times you don't just get a woman's friendship book where one thing that I really appreciated about this book is that although there is tension and potential trauma, there's no actual violence, nothing really truly traumatic happens. I feel like a lot of times literature gets like we have to have some big, huge, horrifying event that happens. And that is not true. But little traumas can still affect your life. And that's kind of what she looks at. And just, you know, how a relationship is going to develop over whatever it is, 30, 30 years of friendship, someone that knows you that deeply, um, and knows all of your your past and and shorthand and you know that that friendship that lasts a whole lifetime what's going to happen with that and um, so it was just a really beautiful book her writing is just it's so quiet but really strong and powerful and i just really enjoyed that and i kind of want to go back now that i've read these two books and really enjoyed them i want to go back and see what else she has written and Mm. see how it is great so yeah well, I only have one book because my one book okay. was very long and I am almost done with an even longer book, wow. but I didn't finish it in time for today. So although I only have one book to tell you about, I went to a very bookish event virtually. But without further ado, I read Shrines of Gaiety Yay! by Kate Atkinson, which Monica reviewed a couple weeks back. This is like hot off the press. I don't know how we landed them so fast, but we were on it because we're big Kate Atkinson fans around here. This was different in the way that Kate Atkinson is different. So Monica's review was a few weeks back and she, of course, encapsulated it beautifully. And I think my takeaway from the book is that... There's a lot going on. (laughs) There are a lot of characters. It focuses pretty closely on one family, the Coker family, in 1926 London, the Soho district. And this family owns a swath of nightclubs. And they've just come out of the war. And obviously, they have no idea that another one is coming. This is such a fraught time period to write about historically because they think they're in the clear and we know what's coming. And that is, I don't know, it tinges it for me in a way. What I loved about the book was all of the moving parts. What was difficult about the book was all of the moving parts. This feels like a tapestry. Each character has its own story, has their own story, their own story thread, And how it weaves together is unexpected in most cases. Then with the historical perspective adds another layer and with their own histories and what 
Kate Atkinson has given each of them makes for this really dense and wonderful Dickensian, which is a word a lot of a lot of reviewers and publishers are tying to the book. It is it's almost a romp. Almost. Yeah, that's true. If it weren't 500 million pages long, it'd be a little bit more of a romp. Totally worthwhile read. One of the most satisfying parts of this was the very ending that if you read it in in a book book, a paper book, there is a nugget at the end, which for me kind of opened it all back up again. And I hope that people will stick with it and see if that is a weird little keyhole for you as well. That was Shrines of Gaiety by Kate Atkinson. So last weekend, I attended virtually the National Kidney Foundation Authors Luncheon, which is a local event, and they raise money to help people who need a kidney transplant. And some of, if I understand it correctly, some of the funding goes to help altruistic donors So if you donate a kidney altruistically, the National Kidney Foundation will totally support that process financially. And here in San Francisco, it is one of the centers for kidney transplants. And I have a very dear friend who donated her kidney, one of her kidneys, altruistically. So I was invited to go to this lunch which of course is an incredible fundraiser, but it is also the absolute most fun fundraiser I have ever been to. And it is because it is focused on authors. So let me tell you a little bit about this. Michael Krasny, who was a longtime beloved radio host here in San Francisco on KQED, hosts the lunch and he interviews like four or five authors. This is their 34th annual lunch and their backlog of authors is like so good. It's just incredible. So this year was Michael Connolly, who just wrote Desert Star, Billy Collins, who just wrote Musical Tables, which is a book of hysterically fun, super short poetry. Jennifer Egan, who we've talked about before, I'm sure, who just wrote The Candy House. Siddhartha Mukherjee, who that's nonfiction, and he wrote The Song of the Cell. And then Margaret Wilkerson Sexton, who Monica just talked about a couple weeks ago, who wrote On the Rooftop. And Michael Krasny did these very short eight-minute interviews of each author. Mm. And it was so delightful to hear about their process, to hear them interact and overlap with each other and like pick up on Joe. I just watched from my home and they were all downtown. And the only reason why I didn't go is my friend wasn't going to go in person either. And so we were able to do it virtually, which was fine with me. And I, I mean, I cried through the first part when they were talking about kidney donations. And then I laughed through the second part with all of the authors because they were so charming and wonderful. And it reminded me that I don't have enough of that in my life, which is why I'm telling everyone about it. So Michael Krasny, who used to host the forum which is a radio show here, and I'm sure it was syndicated for throughout the uh, public radio system. Now he has a podcast called oh. Gray Matter, and he does host lots of authors, and he's a great proponent for writing and, and good stories and that kind of thing, and he's a brilliant interviewer. So 
I just wanted to share that with people because I also think this segues in to our last segment today, all wrapped up. These would be five great books for gifting. So without further ado, all wrapped up. Nice. Okay, so our yarny gifts to start. I I need to talk to my husband and find out where he got this, but a yarn watch, which I posted a picture of. What? You didn't see it? I didn't see it. Oh, so it's not a watch made of yarn. It is, it's a watch. With a ball of yarn? The face has tiny, teeny, tiny little balls of yarn. And it's adorable. And like little knitting needles. It's very cute. And if your person likes actual watches, I highly recommend it. It's very funny. And the the band came in this lovely eggplant purple. And How did I miss that? It's on our page. Oh, my gosh. Pay attention, Courtney. That's adorable. It's adorable. So very fun. And I will talk to him and figure out where he got it. And all of the links for all of the things that we talk about will be in the show notes at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. And if you missed it, I will say it again in the outro. And then another thing he did really good with the knitting gifts this year, a Lantern Moon Sheep Notions Holder. So it's a little fuzzy sheep. It's kind of like a pin cushion, but you can use it to hold little knitting scissors and maybe a crochet hook or something. So you just put it on your little knitting table and you can you can stick things in it so that you don't lose them and hopefully corral some of your, your knitting notions. Plus, it's a very cute sheep. And that is from Lantern Moon. And I think if you just, if you can't find the show notes, you can just do a search for that. And it came up. And then I know I have mentioned stitch markers and whatnot before. Katrinkles is a great source for those. And this year she has giftable bundles. So not just stitch markers, but other things. She has buttons and gauge markers and all sorts of cute things. And one of the things that I especially noticed was a yarn cutter, which is, it's a metal disc with a little part of it cut out very small with a sharp edge on the inside of that and so you put your yarn through there when you need to cut it it will go through tsa no problem unlike scissors occasionally so you don't want to lose your tiny little knitting scissors you can take this the ones that she has are shaped like a ball of yarn i have a different one that i carry around in my purse just in case i ever need to <laughs> to cut yarn you'd, you'd be surprised at how often that comes up in my life so these are very cute i think they're different metallic shades and so that one just in general would be a great little stocking stuffer for a knitter because you can take that around and and when we were out and about we saw that stitch marker advent calendar at fangari oh yeah that was cute which is from firefly notes online.com although i I keep trying to find what they look like. I just thought it was the cutest calendar, but I can't really see the. Well, I don't think we get to see until after. Because I know they don't it's want supposed to be a surprise, but I'm still curious if I'm going to. You have to wait. You just have to, to go for it. Okay. Or wait until someone posts what they look like. That's it. What do we have for art? Art is always tricky because it depends on what medium your person your gifty really likes, but I stand firm on sketchbook ground. So I think a beautiful gift sketchbook are those really thick, gorgeous covered ones from Ferris Wheel Press. I don't know if if it will hold up to like a really wet watercolor, but for drawing in, it is excellent. 
And I always like the Kunst and Papier ones, which are a little bit, they just have a cleaner look to them. They're a bound sketchbook and they open flat and it's just a really clean cover on those. And I love those and use them for everything. Right now I'm loving Treckle paintbrushes, which are, I'm pretty sure that they're made here in the US. And I think that they're really great quality and the the handle on them, they haven't been cracking or anything like that. And they have a lot of really beautiful sets built by different artists. So no matter the medium, there's, there's a set to be had for people. And then this is going to be totally crazy. Fun things to paint and draw. For me, I saw a tin of like really beautiful tea. I will never buy it for myself, but I took a picture of it because it would be fun to paint and draw. So things like food packaging and like a beautiful eggplant or vintage teacup or I don't know, sometimes even photographs of those things are really, they're delightful for artists to use as a reference photo or what have you. So if you know your person and they're, you know, doing a series of vegetables, then go to the market and bring them some beautiful vegetables to paint if they cook, especially because mm-hmm. then you can double dip there. Yeah. I bought some graffiti eggplant solely for the purpose of painting. And now I need to think of a good recipe for graffiti eggplant. That's a stretch. I recognize that, but you know, there's always a sketchbook. And then that light that I mentioned earlier in the on the easel, that could be good for any person, you know, people who like to do puzzles or knitters or sewists or just a great book light for this darker season. All right, cooking related. I sort of mentioned this before, but a Julia Tertian cooking class. I think she has yes. gift cards. They're so fun. Just such a back catalog that you could just watch. Or you can sign up for a live one. You know, your person can pick them up. I think she usually publishes them like the upcoming month so you can see what you're getting. She's just a delight. And they're really good recipes. And they're an hour and a half class. So it's not going to be anything super complicated. That one I would really recommend. And then this one, I cannot speak to it myself. But Jasmine Guillory, the romance writer, recommended it in her newsletter. It's the Ember Temperature Control Coffee Mug. I have a funny story about that. Okay. Should I not recommend it or is it good? No, you should. Okay. So it's a coffee mug, but apparently it will keep your coffee at whatever temperature you set it. And I think it's like Wi-Fi enabled or something. It looks very fancy. It's beautiful looking and they have different sizes. I think you get a 10 and a 14 ounce and I think they have travel mugs as well. So there was a whole, whole bunch of options. Now, what is your story? Okay. So I was painting birds and breakables and going to thrift stores and taking pictures of weird China for photo reference. (laughs) This is exactly what I was just talking about. And somebody had found one of these ember mugs at the thrift store. And she was like so excited in the thrift store to pick this up for, I don't know, $15 or something like that. Yeah. And I didn't, I had never heard of it. And she was just so excited. And, you know, I'm looking at vintage porcelain teacups and she's holding this kind of nondescript black mug. It didn't Mm -hmm. look like anything special, but I made note of the box and 
went on my way. And then I was walking through Costco and I saw the Ember mug at Costco oh. and was so excited to tell my husband about <laughs> the thrift store Costco <laughs> connection, connection, I guess, yeah. you know. I had never heard of this thing. I do think it's kind of great that it will keep it at your, you can dial the temperature in and yeah. it would we'll save me from countless trips to the microwave because I never finish my tea. Exactly. In time. Yeah. Jasmine Guillory says she loves hers. So they're fancy. It's a fancy gift. I think they retail yep. for like $100. Yes. Unless they are having a sale. Unless you find it at Goodwill. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then this was something that came out of our little field trip. Cocktail kits. So I have seen these probably over the past year in various stores. And they're from Camp Craft Cocktails. So it's a mason jar with lots of beautiful organic dried ingredients in them. And the idea is that you add your favorite alcohol and let it steep for a while. And then you have fancy smancy cocktails. And they're pricey. Or they look pretty pricey for what they are. And, you know, they don't include the alcohol. But it's a lovely idea, super fun, and they look beautiful. And I was looking at their website, and it is supposed to make eight servings, and you can re-steep everything. So you have 16 servings. So that makes it a little more affordable. But I also think if you're a crafty person, you could probably make your own. And I did find a recipe for an old-fashioned in a jar, which is a cocktail that I am pretty fond of. So I think you could probably make a bunch for friends or whoever, and it would be more affordable that way and look beautiful and really cool. Yeah, definitely. The packaging was cute and it's totally doable. Yes. As a, for your own flavor profile, exactly. frankly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it'd be fun to play around with and, and create your own. But those, those, uh, the link for the, the one, the recipe that I found will be in the show notes. Okay. So my on the table gift ideas are really far flung. Well, sort of. My first one is for the locals. And this is not going to sound like a on the table thing right off the bat. So here in San Francisco, there is a new show called Dear San Francisco. And it's kind of a love story to the city, historical up to present day. And it is at Club Fugazi in North Beach. And it's where the old Beach Blanket Babylon show used to be. For starters, this is not really an on-the-table gift, but hear me out. It's so family-friendly. It's really exciting. It's like 90-minute acrobatic show about San Francisco, if you can wrap your head around that. And the reason why I am absolutely shoehorning this into on-the-table is because their snack menu is totally local and delightful. It's like XOX chocolates, which are right down the street in North Beach. It's a charcuterie board from Molinari's and like the local thing. And then there were there was another dessert, something from Stella's Pastry. I think it might have been cream puffs. You know, so they're pulling their neighborhood restaurants into their menu options. And I just had to tell our local listeners about or anybody who might be coming to the Bay Area about this show. It is such a fun show. I would go again. Let me put it that way. There's so much to see. And these acrobats are incredible. And I am just totally smitten with it. So that's Club Fugazi featuring local snacks. My other on the table ideas are not that far flung <laughs> or like trapeze acts or anything, but 
I have been seeing great reviews for these beautiful olive oils from Brightland. It's an artsy olive oil set. It would be a great hostess gift. You could buy all four and tuck one into gift baskets, that kind of thing. Really, really cool looking olive oils. And then when Monica and I were out and about in Half Moon Bay, we were in a shop that had these gorgeous bronze trivets. And they turn out to be from Fudagami, which is a Japanese company. And they were just really cool geometrical trivets. I personally have $1 trivets from Ikea, the cork ones. I think most people have a set of those. It just made me feel like, wow, my trivet game is pretty terrible. At least I have them, but whatever. And then when I went to West Coast Craft, the big craft fair here in San Francisco, or one of them, I should say, I saw these other incredible trivets from Yonder Shop, which is a local ceramic shop run by Linda Fahey, who does really cool ceramics. She's worked for anthropology. She's done work for anthropology. She's done private, gorgeous ceramic tiles. She has an an international presence, but it's also kind of cool that she's here in San Francisco. So I want to point everyone towards her. I really want to, I don't think any of my family is going to listen to this, but I do want to send everybody a box or a box set of the Cascatelli from Sfolini because I think last year at this time, were we getting it yet? I can't remember. I don't know. It wasn't, or I already had a plan for the, for what to send my siblings, but Everybody is getting Cascatelli this year. My other gift idea is this crazy measuring spoon that I saw. It is a four-in-one polygon measuring spoon. Nobody is going to be able to picture this, but I'm going to try. It's like a flat piece of plastic, like a fruit leather, that you pinch at the handle. And it, depending on where you pinch it, it folds into different measurements. And then you can scoop it off flat. It's just like nobody needs this, but it is so cool. (laughs) It's like $8. um, And we'll have a link to it. And then you can never go wrong. Are you ready for this list of... Honey, mustard, hot sauce, fancy soy sauce, spices, like what's that spice that I always recommend to everybody who comes to my house? Sumac, (laughs) salt, Monica already said the cocktail stuff, but like bitters and those Mm, kinds of things. Those are so delightful to get because they're things that people wouldn't necessarily buy for themselves. And I just think they're joyful. And nice utensils as well, like wooden spoons. Like I have wooden spoons. I've had them forever. Someone gave me a nice new one. I would be very grateful. <laughs> Spatulas, you know, anything that you use all the time, but right. make it beautiful and and yeah. new. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, all of ours are like twenty years old. I bought a new knife and it's Ooh. like it's like driving a Maserati. Yeah. I don't know what driving a Maserati is like, but it's so much better. I'm sure it's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we could go on and on about on the table. That one's easy. Yep. All right. Reading. I found this Reader's Planner for 2023 by Gretel Castro. And I think she has a whole bunch of different ones. The link goes to Amazon. And if you she has her own shop there, so you can see all of the different ones. So I liked this one because it's not just for recording your books. It's for planning out your reading. And I, apparently it has, you know, you can do your 
daily tracking. And there's space for, you know, your book reviews. But I guess it has different sections for things like your book club reads, if you have a subscription, books you got from the library, reading challenges. So, you know, lots of different categories. It looks like there's hand drawings in there as well. So it's really attractive looking as well. So I thought that one was kind of that's fun. a nice looking one. Yeah. Bookends. Ooh, good idea. Um, yeah. And the one that I saw, I pulled off of the Modern Mrs. Darcy gift list. I mean, it's an ampersand. It's wooden, very attractive. And But everybody, not everybody, but there are plenty of bookends out there that could go with whatever aesthetic your person has or if they like something else. I know we have some that my husband uses in his office that are old records because he's a, a music person. So lots of options there, but it's always nice, you know, to, to have an actual bookend instead of, I don't know, a, a jar just shoving things off to the side. So there's lots of ways that you could go with that. Fun, fun ideas. I took a, a slightly weird route with the books this year. I was thinking of some art books, some cookbooks, and some mm. book books. Yeah. So that's what I have for you this year. Back when I was talking about gift ideas for your artsy person, I didn't mention field guides because I put them here. And I think if you know somebody who's doing birds, let's say, or turtles or whatever, field guides are really great drawing references. And if they're doing people, there are great anatomy books that can help with that. So I would recommend looking in that vein. If they're a landscape person, you could find, you know, some beautiful landscape books for them to use as reference. There's also this gorgeous book of still life art, and it is from an Australian contingent, and I'll put a link to it in the notes. And it's one of the most inspiring books that I have looked through this year. It's really great. And then the other artist-related book that I picked up were the sketchbooks of Emma Carlyle, who's somebody that I follow on social media, and I'm one of her Patreons too. And I just think that these sketchbooks, she's published her sketchbooks, and they are just fascinating to look at and just kind of see her line work up close. I love to look through somebody else's sketchbook and it's it feels so intimate. And anyway, I, I just highly recommend that. Then for cookbooks, I have three. I love Keepers, the new Smitten Kitchen. This will be no surprise to anybody who's been listening to us wax poetic about Deb Perlman's cooking. I haven't pawed through it yet, but I'm super curious about Stanley Tucci, the Tucci cookbook. Oh, I didn't know. He's delightful. Yes. And he does a lot of Italian cooking and we love who doesn't love Italian food. So I think that would be a great gift. And then for baking, I came across this book called A Good Day to Bake by Benjamina Abuehi, who was a Great British Bake Off, I think, finalist. I'm not sure. But she has this new cookbook that seems to be everyday bakeable recipes, like mm. easy scones and, oh, I feel like muffins, really bakeable with lovely ingredient combinations. And I think it's a beautiful book. So that would be my my other cookbook gift idea. And then for great book books, 
the reading, I want to point back to those five authors that I mentioned from the talk that I attended. I think there's something there kind of for everyone because it was such a well-chosen panel. There's the mass market fiction, the poet, the literary fiction, nonfiction, and historical fiction. So really fun group of people. And we'll have all five of those books in the list as well. Yeah. And most local independent bookstores will also have gift guides either on their websites or if you go in, you can always ask for recommendations as well. Yeah. We have a few favorite local bookstores that do awesome holiday lists like book pack, book passages. And what was the other one you mentioned? Folio Books has one and West Portal probably too. Yeah. So we'll be sure to link those because I think the regional book lists will be slightly different than like New York Times or something. And there might be a little bit more diversity in the offerings to look outside of those. All right. So I hope those give you some ideas. And if you have ideas that you feel like we should know about, throw them in the comments or on the Ravelry thread. Yeah, because we'd love to hear it. We're always, always looking for good ideas for gifting. And then we can always save them for for later for birthdays and whatnot. That's right. It's important to have ideas. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Today is Friday, November 25th. (laughs) Today is Friday, November 25th. (laughs) Why can I not say the year? Trip to fame? Trip to... Still? 2022. Okay. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.